Are you curious on how much your business is worth? Get your free no obligation offer from Open Store at open.store. The subscription market is predicted to grow to nearly $500 billion by 2025. Recharge is a leading subscription management solution helping e-commerce merchants of all sizes launch and scale their subscription offerings. Over 15,000 merchants use subscriptions powered by Recharge to grow their business and their communities by increasing average order value, reducing churn, and providing predictable recurring revenue. Turn transactions into long-term customer relationships and experience seamless subscription commerce with Recharge. Check them out at rechargepayments.com forward slash DTC pod. What's up, DTC pod? Today, we're joined by Gretchen Hollinsworth, who is one of the founders of Ink and Alloy. So Gretchen, I'll let you kick us off. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what Ink and Alloy is all about and maybe a little bit about yourself and how you got started? Sure. Well, Ink and Alloy is really my second chance at building something that I love from the ground up. Um, I previously had started and founded a business called Patty Wax, so I was kind of got a jump start in this business since I had that experience. But for my 2.0 career, I just really wanted to build a brand full of joy and color and empowerment. And I just felt like women's accessories was just a, a really nice angle to that. It's kind of the spice of life or the icing on the cake and just kind of where my life is um, for 2.0. So that's how we got started. Yeah. And one one reason that we're really excited in the conversation today is Patty Wax is a, a very sizable business. I know you guys, you have scaled this. This wasn't just like a quick thing that was one or two years. You guys started this in the mid 90s and it's grown and grown and grown over several years. You got the patty waxes in several major national retailers across the U.S. So before we get too far into ink and alloy, why don't we just talk a little bit about your super successful career in terms of building patty wax out and what that journey was like? Sure. Well, I was uh, super young when I started patty wax. I was right out of college and I was literally like, I think I was 25. And um, I, it's kind of funny. I bought a house that had a greenhouse in the back and it, the greenhouse was packed full of little terracotta pots and I had no money to buy Christmas presents for my family. So I made candles and it just kind of went crazy from there. And it was like those old commercials that you see where the orders are piling in and first you're really ha- happy and then you're like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? So um, that was grown literally from my kitchen until... 2009, uh, we brought on an investment partner and that really kind of changed the dynamic of Paddywax. We, we had already were a nationally recognized brand before that. And I had already sold to places like Anthropology and Nordstrom and, you know, Urban Outfitters and people like that. But the um, investment partner came on and at the time I was married and my Husband was a big fan of selling the business in a weird way. I really wasn't because it was really my baby. But in the big scheme of things, it turned out great because I went through a divorce and then I was just left with a partner, the new partner, and I stayed on for five years. That business um, got massively big. And I always told people it kind of felt like selling your business felt like um, you got to be the nanny. It's like your your kid grew up, but now he's not really your baby, but you're the nanny. So I was on for the last five years, but it really changed the dynamic of how I felt. And ultimately, I'm an entrepreneur. 
I'm not just a creative and I love all aspects of the business. And so it got to where like, no, I want to do this again. I, I love every piece of it. And, you know, I was in a situation where it was like, go be the creative and we'll run the books and the financials. And I found that I, I love that piece too. So it felt great to get back into it. And I was very lucky that I have a wonderful team of women that, that came with me here to Ink and Alloy that um, we've been together in the business for over 20 years. And so we've got a really core group of people that we're having fun. You know, I love that. And, and that's what we're really excited to be able to talk about in this episode is kind of like, you know, what that 2.0 looks like and how, how you guys took all those learnings that you'd had over, over those 20 years and started to apply them to Ink and Alloy and scale really fast in a really competitive sector. But one question that I'm just curious about going back to Patty Wax is, I know you mentioned in the beginning, you kind of had this idea with the candles and you were like building them out and then you started to like scale up really quickly and get a lot of demand for it. But I mean, this was kind of really before e-commerce was a massive thing and before it was really easy to start like selling a lot online and with all these different channels. So what did the initial growth of that business look like during that time? Like, who were you selling to? Were you going well, to Well, this is really going like, to age where, me. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to really age me because, um, yeah, it was like in the day of rolling fax machines to get your orders. <laughs> but uh, I was fortunate enough. I grew up in the industry. My parents have a lamp business. And so I kind of saw the wholesale model of their business. My dad's very much didn't give me one piece of advice. If I'd ever call him, he'd say, I don't know. What do you think? And I actually kind of appreciate that. But I did know that there was a wholesale market. You could go get sales reps. They would represent your brand. And so first thing I did was I was fortunate that I live in Atlanta, which happens to be the biggest gift mart in the country. So I was able to go down there and secure a relationship with a sales group. Then they had a showroom that ran out of Atlanta. So all of a sudden I was in, they also at the time had um, showrooms in High Point, North Carolina, which is a big furniture show wholesale. And so we were launched immediately. I remember at the time, he wasn't my husband yet, but my husband was doing the last, last little craft fair where he was like selling candles at what we call the Dogwood Festival in Atlanta. And I was at the wholesale market. And this is crazy. We wrote $150,000 with the business in that wholesale market, which was like, oh my gosh, I'm 25. We have no employees. We didn't even have a space. And I literally made every single candle by hand. <laughs> and we shipped them within six weeks, which is one, one crazy way about how the business has changed so much is back then people were very like six, eight weeks was very common for a store to wait for um, an order. But with the speed of technology, it has, it's changed so rapidly. So we weren't thinking about direct to consumer. We were only selling to the wholesale market. So once we saw that success in Atlanta, hired a few, uh, had no money, no money. So I got um, some credit cards. <laughs> which is probably maybe not the best, best advice, but got a bunch of credit cards and bought as much wax and supplies that we can and started making them and then just slowly paid off the credit cards. And within, within um, two years, we were in a 10,000 square foot warehouse with like 30 employees, which was kind of crazy. And I'm happy to say that one of those employees actually works for me today. <laughs> so wow. here at Ink and Alloy. That is, that's amazing. And I think it's, 
that's a really neat way to think about things just in terms of like getting things started, right? Like it seems like what what you knew was let me go after wholesale first. That'll get cash flow going. That'll get demand, you know, even maybe so much demand, it's going to be hard to fulfill. You fulfilled it and you were able to start ter- taking that demand and turning it into a business. And then from there, once the business was up and running, you were able to do all sorts of expansion into other channels, whether it was D to C, whether it was selling into like big nationwide retailers and that sort of thing. So just having that lens to be able to take an idea and start it up with that landscape. I think that's a really unique uh, way you went about it. Yeah, it was great. I mean, we just instant, we got our, our start and um, just scaled, scaled, scaled. And then we, back in the day, you, you know, we didn't have, this is, God, I sound like a dinosaur, but we didn't have direct to consumer. So we really were focused solely on wholesale. And I think that in a lot of ways, when I left Paddywax, they still weren't really focused on direct to consumers because, and I think what's been nice about having 20 years, 25 years of experience, but then having like a startup again, is you have this 25 years of experience, but you also can pivot and move much faster than trying to transform a business that's been around for so long. So now we've been able to like, I mean, we're looking at all kinds of channels of business where in a real quick way. I don't know if that makes sense, but no, it it makes, it makes a ton of sense. So, okay. Why don't we start thinking about like, okay, it's the time you've clearly kind of stepped away from the major operational side of the paddy wax thing. You're, you're getting your entrepreneurial itch going, you're ready to launch a new product and project. So what was kind of the inspiration for Ink and Alloy, how did you know that this was the idea that you wanted to pursue? And what were like the first steps? And once you had kind of decided that, okay, this is a new venture I'm going to launch, what are your like initial steps? Um, I w- I'm constantly, for the past 25 years, I'm constantly dreaming of products. I just love products. I love probably the thrill for me is like making a product and seeing that it works, seeing that it, it, um, it retails, people like it. It works for the wholesale market for our, our boutiques. I love all the relationships I have with all the boutiques across the country because at this point I've been doing this for so long. I know most of the boutique, most of the great boutiques across the country. And um, why jewelry? I thought really long and hard about it. And it's creative. It's fun. It can sell in a lot of the stores where I already had relationships. I love India. And so it brought me to travel to India, which that's where we work with a lot of our artisans. And it it just, I have a pretty big non-compete for candles at the time. So I couldn't ever make candles again, nor did I really want to. I was really ready for, ready for a brand new start. So I don't know if I have a better answer than that. So I, I, I started mulling my head, doing my little research in the background. And I, as I exited Patty, I mean, I left Paddywax in June 2015, and I launched Ink and Alloy January 2016 at the wow. wholesale markets. <laughs> wow, that, that that's a that's a quick turnaround. So, okay, so why don't we talk about like the initial strategy in terms of launching uh, Ink and Alloy? Right? Uh, was it again a wholesale strategy where you're it, like, I it, know it was. Yeah. Why Why don't we talk a little bit about sure. that? So, what you know how many types of relationships did you have in place like how did you actually go wholesale how much product did you have to deliver um and what were some of those product lines and SKUs that you were coming up with to deliver on the good thing was you know i'd been doing it for 25 years so i immediately called up all of my friends in the 
you know, partners throughout the ages in the best, very best showrooms in Dallas, LA, Las Vegas, Atlanta, New York. And I already had relationships with so many of these salespeople. So, and they knew me. And so they all took a gamble on me, which was really nice. And so I got instantly plugged in where at Paddywax, I had to kind of work those relationships, you know, Um, and they took a gamble on me and thank you so much, but it's been a great thing. So we instantly launched wholesale. We did all the major shows, New York Now, Coterie, apparel shows, all the showrooms. And at the same time, we built our our direct-to-consumer website so that we were positioned when COVID happened to really, to really, that was kind of our next, like, you know, we're going to diversify. And we did a little direct-to-consumer, but our business was heavily, heavily wholesale. And we just pivoted when COVID happened, um, focused some resources there where we normally would have focused those resources on those wholesale shows. Instead, we spent ad money and marketing firms and all of getting all of our digital content, ramping our socials, and really got the business more um, balanced as far as direct-to-consumer and wholesale. And then wholesale came back. And so we've been able to ramp ramp so fast. Um, and I think all of our advertising and our social and our direct-to-consumer site in the old days People, whole uh, boutiques were scared of that. They'd be like, oh, you're going to compete with me, la la. It's a totally different world today. They're like, we're just building the brand and they get that. And so we're just, we have this brand recognition out there because we're running the ads, they're going to benefit off of it too. Because someone's shopping in their shop and, oh, I got served an ink and alloy ad. And, oh, here's the ink and alloy here in my favorite boutique. It, it's it's not a competition. We're all in it together. Yeah, I think that's a really good perspective too, right? In terms of like how things may have evolved. Whereas before it was like really brands who are like, uh, you're either DTC or you're not. Whereas now DTC is more of like a channel that you need to compete in and being able to acquire customers, build those first party relationships. That's obviously a great part of the business, but also being able to lean into the wholesale when that market is ripe for it is also very critical. So one thing that I think we should probably focus on in this conversation that I think would be really helpful to our listeners and a lot of people, because a lot of times what we'll see is brands that are launching D2C, they know how to do that, right? They come from the world of agencies, of direct consumer, of being able to launch really quickly scaling up different ad platforms and build a build their um, audience really quickly that way. And then once they've reached a certain amount of scale, they're like, okay, what do I do next? And then they're trying to pivot into other channels like retail, wholesale, et cetera, whereas you have the expertise in the other way and you were able to spin up your own DDC instance. So one thing that I think would be very valuable this episode is why don't we just take a deep dive into the world of wholesale? Like, let's just talk about um, what, what that world looks like, what that landscape looks like, who the players are and what, um, you know, how you build a brand that is viable within, for the wholesale market. Um, okay. Gosh, where do I start on that? (laughs) So, Um, So maybe we just, maybe we just start with a general overview of the whole scale, the wholesale landscape for consumer brands, like who's buying it? Um, what are the different like product categories and, um, you know, how, how do you get started in that in that field? Well, um, and tell me if I'm dumbing it down too much, but sometimes people don't really understand, don't know, and I don't want to assume. No, people let, know. let's go. Let's go real dumb. <laughs> okay, okay. So basically, there's there's wholesale market centers like in Atlanta. It's called America's Mart, and it's 
three, three, 15 story, 20 story buildings. And there is really everything there. One of them's primarily gifts. One of them's primarily furniture. One's primarily apparel. And so within those floors, you can pretty much find any consumer good in any boutiques around the country. So if you have a brand, you can um, go to these places and they have what they have is like temporary booths. You could get a temporary booth and say, I'm going to go it alone. Or another way, the way we've done it is we get sales reps. So sales reps are like, you might have this beautiful showroom that sells anything from books to stuffed animals, to candles, to jewelry, to paper products, and they have contract sales reps. So for example, our group in Atlanta, that's based out of Atlanta, um, they have nine women that work for them and they cover all the states from Florida, Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi, you know, the whole Southeast. And those people sell those, let's just say 40 lines. So those people travel on your behalf and they sell your products in their territories. That's the model that I have grown my business. And it's a little old school. And a lot of people, I've seen so many startups come and be like, oh my gosh, I don't want to pay them commission and you know, give up the control. But if you're partnered with the right people, you could be trying to go it alone. Say you do get a booth by yourself and you're like, I'm going to go it alone. I don't want to be you know, partnered with someone. That's fine. But if you go into a beautiful showroom, all of a sudden you're in this space with, say, we're in the same space with Jelly Cat, which is a very famous plush line of beautiful stuffed animals that's in every good boutique out there. So I am now feeding off of their customers and they're feeding off my customers. And there's this real synergy. So if you get in with the right group, it can just be, you can scale your business faster. Instead of sitting down in a booth by yourself and you just happen to whoever walks by, I don't know. Yeah, so no, that's, that, that's the way that I have grown businesses and it has worked. Um, that, that totally makes sense. And I think you're, we're even starting to, to see it now where, you know, in the beginning of D2C, everyone kind of was able to like ads were really cheap. So everyone was able to go out, get their own customer bases. Whereas now, you know, your brands are looking for more collaboration opportunities. Yeah, it's like, other it's brands. a different, it's a, yeah. You know, like, why should everyone have to pay to build and cultivate the same different audiences if they're there and they're, you're able to build off those synergies? So that seems to be like what the wholesale market is really about. It's like there's people who are incentivized the right way to sell your products. You're the one making the product. They have people who want to buy your products. And your job is to, like, basically find the right partnerships and the right networks for your, your products to be distributed, right? And, and, you know, a great way is I know a lot of people go direct to consumer and they do it opposite of the way that I've done it. But I think the benefit of the way I'm doing it is we already have brand recognition. So all of a sudden now you're getting into all these stores and people are seeing you, you know, they're not just seeing, you know, it's just, it's growing name recognition probably faster, you know, than, oh, yeah. than and, you could. And I- and I think the the way to think about it really would be have your like you were saying what what you spend a lot of time with during the pandemic was 
basically spinning up your D2C instance. So you have your website. If someone wants to buy from you, they can get everything there. You can um, manage that relationship with them. But at the same time, by doing the wholesale stuff, there's nothing better than like in-person real product advertising where someone can see and touch and find your product, right? So you're almost using them to complement each other where you have massive distribution strategy for the wholesale. And if anything, it's only going to accelerate D2C and then D2C vice versa. If you're able to like, you know, find people at brand evangelists online, they're going to be able to actually find your products out in the wild, if you will. Yeah. And I think that, you know, it works for the, and I was pretty, when I decided to do ink and alloy and we, the part the products that everyone designs here and everything, it's like, you know, our price points are, they're relatively low. So it's an impulse. I don't think anyone's like, if they're in a beautiful store and they see a beautiful pair of earrings and they're $60, I don't think they're going to feel compelled to have to go home and look at online or vice versa. So I think for my category, it, it really works to do it that way. Awesome. And then the next thing I want to talk about, um, so you clearly, you know, you're launching this brand, you know, jewelry, because we can't do candles this time around. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We know we have the relationship, so we know where to go. Then what's kind of like the next move in terms of like the operations and the planning and like the team building? Um, I know another topic that we're really excited to, to go into within this episode is the fact that you guys were a bit more bootstrapped than having to like raise a whole bunch of venture to, to fund a business like this. So in the early stages, like, you know, you have the relations with the buyers, like how many product lines are you offering them? Um, how much inventory do you need to buy to like, just get this thing started out in a sustainable way? So you don't have to take out too many credit cards this time around. Right. Well, I was fortunate that I just sold a business. <laughs> so I kind of, I kind of, um, bootstrapped it, but I, I, by all means, I, I didn't, I wasn't like rolling. So I, I had to be very conscious of that. Um, um, I just, I, my whole life I've built out and just, I don't want to say it's just me cause I have an amazing group of 16 women that helped me along the way. And so everyone I hired, we have some kind of connection and they know the industry. So we, there was no learning curve. We knew exactly what we were doing. You know, it's like, okay, so we, you have to put a line together that's big enough and compelling enough that a store is like, yeah, okay, I'm going to buy into this. This makes sense. So you can't go to market with, here's 12 earrings. That's just, that's just not compelling. You're just not going to, you're not going to make an impact. So I think when we first started, we started with 200 items and, um, just we designed them ourselves. I met with the artisans. I should bring up at this point, we do work in India. And there was another big piece to ink and alloy is um, we do have a, a give back. And we partner with a, a commit to change over there that educates um, young girls in poverty. So that's kind of a side note, but that's an important thing I didn't want to leave out because that's a big part of, our, of who we are. Super yeah. important. And, and especially, I mean, the, the quality of work that comes out of, of India and th those artisans, is, it's really awesome. So being able to find, right, like being able to find the, the people who can produce these amazing products and be able to support them, I think is a, a super, super important. It, it, it really value. is. And the people over there are just beautiful and gracious. And I just, I love, I love going there. So we really start with 200 items. Um, we started small. I mean, we bought like a hundred each, which wasn't crazy. We got a very small, 
um, place. And I think at the time I had about four employees. And then that since then we've scaled and scaled and scaled. And now we have a thousand items in our line. And there's um, 18 of us here now. So that's kind of where we've been in a few short years have wow been. so so you guys are already at um a thousand different items that's that's you know a massive amount but just starting that's really fascinating that um to be at the scale that you are you are when you're going to market just to start you were like we need to build a catalog of 200 items and we need to stock about a hundred at least a hundred of each of these items to be viable to go to market with these um Yeah, I mean, that's just real basic of what we did. And then we made sure that we could get delivery, you know, within the time period. And then we just ramped and ramped and ramped. But I mean, if you are going to go the wholesale route, I can give the advice that things that are going to drive your sales reps crazy and your boutiques is you got to deliver on time. You got to pay your reps. You've got to um, come out with new and interesting products every twice a year. Um, And you've got to give them the right sales materials to sell it. So you've got to be ready to like, we produce a hundred page catalog. We didn't at the beginning, it was more like 20 pages, but now we produce a hundred page color catalog for them to actually show their customers. So if you're not willing to do those type of things, you're not going to be as successful because that's the way they work. So you can't, you can't train them to work the way you want to work. You really kind of have to work in the system because they've been doing this for so long and they've got 40 other lines to wrap. So you want to be one that they pull out of their bag and show their stores first. <laughs> so you may, you, you, we try to be like the brown noser a plus student in the group of 40 lines where a rep is like, Oh my God, I love ink and alloy. They ship on time. They're nice. They help our customers. Um, the stuff sells and they give me nice materials to sell it with. I know that sounds kind of silly, but not everybody gets all that. No, of course. And you want, you want to build a strong relationship with the people who are representing your brand and you want to set them up for success, right? Like if you, if they're, if they're not set up for success to sell, how are they going to be able to convert and sell the product? So you a want them to, to like you and set up a strong foundation with that relationship with you as a person and a company and a brand that they can trust that they're going to want to go to bat for and B you want to equip them with all the, the right materials. So when they get out there, um, they, you know, there's no, there's no hesitation and they have everything they need. So that takes us into, um, some of or the one question I had just to backtrack a little bit. Um, you said you had, uh, like, you know, the 200 different product lines and about a hundred, you stock about a hundred of each of them where like physically, where is that? Do you guys, are you housing? Yeah, that, we like, do, in we your, do it. We do exactly, it right and, here. And then, so you, you've got you've got all that inventory in one space. And then, what are the what are the sellers going out with? They're going out with your material and their brand, and they're trying to place you in different boutiques. So, that, so it, would it be like a boutique might order, call it like ten of those SKUs and twenty five of each of those products? Or like, what is? Um, how does so the product mix the, work happen? Exactly. How does the product mix happen? And then, and then, what are you delivering? Are you de- when you when you're you're talking like wholesale, right? Are you set like how many units are are we talking to each one of those uh, retailers that they're selling into? Um, let me do a quick math here. But usually, stores are buying probably fifty to a hundred items on an order or more, and it could be across, gosh, 
many, many SKUs. They, we make it where they only have to buy like two of each so they can get a nice variety. Our salespeople hit the road with a, um, a sales kit. So what we try to do is we work in a lot of materials. We have a lot of beaded things. We're really known for our beads, but we also do have metal. We have scarves. We have some natural materials. So we, we try to give all those people that are on the road, like a little sampling of everything we do so that they can walk in and, and show the stores. Um, so that's usually how it works. You know, the store will review the catalog, review the samples, and they put an order in and we turn it around as fast as we can for them. That was another big reason why I love jewelry was the warehouse space is much better than candles. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. and, and no, and that that's a that's a really good 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 thing when you're talking about like logistics and especially in this day and age everyone's talking about um shipping costs and the uh the unit economics of the different products and everything and you know we bring on a lot of different founders that are in CPG maybe they're making like beverages and like for example beverages are a lot worse than even candles to store and ship right so oh, sure. thinking about thinking about your your product in terms of like jewelry it's small it has good unit econ economics a higher price point it's good something that reps are going to want to sell i think that's that's a really strong starting point and so so this is really interesting so basically what you guys have is you go out you start up the brand you you come up with 200 different like product SKUs and you stock enough so you're able to give all these buyers their choice in terms of being able to rep a bunch of your products and the minute a buyer says okay this is something i want you can fulfill on it instantly and then in the meantime as you have orders coming through that starts to give you bandwidth yeah. to do reorders on those product lines because you know what's starting to sell into wholesalers as well as develop new product lines is that is that yeah, accurate yeah that's really it is and i'm very fortunate like i was saying one of the um i got so many great women here, but like my operations director, my inventory manager, my business development director, my national sales manager, and my head designer all worked with me before. So we all know what we're doing, <laughs> you know, as far as like the cadence of how we, how we get things. So, and we have a lot of fun. They're, they're great. And we're just, you know, we're very, I'm very, very fortunate that we're, I really have a great team. So. Well, and so so much of business is is about the it's about the people and the processes that you put in place, right? So, um, like you said, just being able to understand the cadence, knowing that you guys have done this before, and being able to bring what's a similar process, right? Because so much of business is the process that you're able to put in place. Uh, you know, developing, like you're saying, developing a catalog. Well, okay, sure, we need to take different pictures and we need to order different products. But like a catalog is a catalog and the relationship is the relationship and the structure and what we use to communicate with these different buyers, like that's already something that we know. So um, that just goes to show the importance of the continuity and building out the right, building processes the right way. And then once you've built those processes, being able to you know, really focus on the efficiencies and, and scaling things up that way. Right. Absolutely. I think a lot of, on, I talked to a lot of people that will be like entrepreneurs that think they want their own business because they love designing products. And it's like, <laughs> you know, you got to love every little piece of it to really be successful. I really think because it's, it's, I really try to tell people I'm not really good at anything. I'm just like, I'm like a, B student at a lot of subjects, <laughs> you know, I'm not necessarily an A student in anything, but like, you know, I love talking logistics. I love talking um, design. I love doing sales. I love doing. So I think to be a true entrepreneur, you kind of got to be willing, you got to be willing to kind of 
get in all those areas. Because what I think. I think that's what's also really important about your role as like a founder, CEO or whatever it is, is about having domain expertise in a lot of those areas. Because at the end of the, the day, if it's your job to to steer the ship, you need to know all the inputs and you need to be the one with the the real holistic understanding of, of the whole business. Um, whereas if you're hiring a specialist, it's their job to be like really specialized in one specific thing. But if you don't have the lens to be able to tie everything together, then uh, it's a lot it's a lot harder to get everyone rowing in the same direction. Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. So moving forward. So now we have a general idea about, um, you know, your initial go to market about stocking the products about building out your both your processes on the um, you know, the wholesale side as well as the D2C side. So what would you say are some of the learnings that you've had along the way? And not just like the learnings, but like, you know, what prompted you to be really excited about like leaning into the method of bootstrapping that you guys are doing to grow the business? And like, how do you guys really think about um, continuing to build the business sustainably? Oh, gosh, it's something I look at every day. I, I don't know. We, uh, I think a, a good maybe more tangible way to look at that is when we really went to direct to consumer because it's it's a lot more numbers focused in a way than wholesale was because wholesale was more intuitive for me and just kind of like building those relationships and growing where when you did direct to consumer, you could say, okay, I'm going to spend X on ads and I'm going to get X in sales. So how many dollars do I want to put on ads to get sales, you know, until iOS and all that stuff but but really it's a little bit more um black and white so to speak so as far as bootstrapping i just keep a real tight eye on it we're not going to do stuff if we're not going to make money i mean i know there's a lot of startups that are willing to not make money for five years and grow customer base and all this stuff i'm not sophisticated enough to think about it (laughs) that way i'm more of a just uh okay, well, we did that. So we're going to do a little bit more of that. And one of my things I think we say around here all the time is, okay, let's just crank up the spin until the wheels fall off and then we'll dial it back down, you know? So we kind of, we push it as hard as we can and then, um, and make sure that everything's maintaining. Um, That doesn't sound like a very sophisticated answer at all, but but it's just keeping your eye on it, you know? I think it makes sense. And I I think, you know, just thinking about, I I think what you said is really important is we don't do it if it doesn't make money. And that's kind of like, you need to have that, um, you know, those sound fundamentals in terms of your business when, when you're building. And if you're building a bootstrap business where your growth comes from being able to reinvest profits that you've made into your business and continuing to grow it out. So starting with the lens, even at a very basic um, thing like you had just talked about, even the unit economics of building jewelry and in terms of the fulfillment costs, the storage space and the product specs, like that makes more sense than um, a bigger, heavier sort of item. So thinking of all those different things and then thinking of it sustainably, I do think is very important. So why don't we talk a little bit more now that we kind of understand the framework of how you make decisions, what some of the areas that you're continuing to invest in, in the business now that you've got your initial traction, people are buying it, you have wholesale buyers buying it, you have a D to, your D to C channel set up, like now, where do you think about uh, investing? Is it more products? Is it, um, you know, advertising? Is it 
partnerships? Like where are you investing those bootstrap dollars to continue your next wave of growth? Well, the um, kind of fun thing that we do have on the horizon that I'm excited about is we are going to be doing some mobile retail. So we have bought some tuk-tuks that are coming, hopefully soon, that we're going to try to start having some stand-up kind of pop-up shop opportunities with um, these really cute little Piaggio uh, apes that are converted that hopefully we can put them in outdoor marketplaces or the beach or a festival and we can really build off. They'll be great for socials as where's ink and alloy now. And so that's a new channel that we're going to explore in 2023 that I'm really excited about, hopefully at the end of 2022, but uh, I'm really, I'm really excited about that. That sounds that sounds like a ton of fun. So you guys are getting a bunch of the like the tuk tuk the the scooters yeah. up, yeah. and you're going to be able to be in person um, in all these environments selling a product where where not only does the tuk tuk kind of line up with the product that you're selling, it's like you have the brand cohesion as well as something that's different. It stands out. Um, I think that's that's a really cool opportunity for growth. That's going to be really exciting. So where are you going to once you guys set those up? Where are you? Um, where are you going to run them? How are you going to manage well, they're them? About eight, like, they're about eight months late now. Um, we had bought them in January 20 in January, they were going to be here and supply chain. So we've been waiting, waiting, waiting. And we really feel like we haven't been able to make commitments to certain retail establishments until we actually have them here. But just for imagine, if you will, if anybody knows Atlanta, you know, say it's a Pont City Market or a Crog Street, or if people know Florida, it could be on 30A along there, or or there's lots of opportunities like that. I'm not saying that's where they're going to be because we don't know quite yet, um, but that's that's what we're thinking. No, I love that, and I, I like partner how with, our partner with a great retail store that we have that does a really great job for us, and we could be like, hey. Do you want us to park the tuk-tuk out front and you guys get a cut and we get a cut and we all, you know, yeah, have a I little think, fun with it? I think it's great. It almost like reminds me of, um, you know, Red Bull when they would have their cars where they drive around and like Red Bull made sense in like the, I think it was, they were like modified Mini Coopers or something. Right, uh, right, right. Filled with like Red Bull, but like. Um, and I don't think there's like vehicles where it makes sense for a ton of products, but like right immediately when you mention it, I can already like see the tuk tuk and you know, the jewelry products being well, around they're little, all these sort they're of white and they're like mm-hmm. got a little, like you lift the side and there's all going to be the products hanging up. So we hope they're not really good. They're not going to be road safe. So we're probably gonna have to tow them from location to location, but yeah. But yeah, I mean, and, and like, that's another channel that I know a lot of brands are like starting to dip their toes into is like the out of home sort of marketing. And that one, it just seems like a, a really exciting channel, especially because of like the product alignment um, with your your specific product. Again, you can probably, you'd be able to care one, get your brand seen by a lot of people and two, you're, because it's jewelry, it's really consumable sort of on the spot. You can carry a lot of different products on them. It's not like they're massive things that you're lugging around. So um, anyway, seems like a pretty exciting channel. And then I know we touched on, um, or you mentioned retail briefly. So I'd like to touch on that. Are you guys in other retailers beyond wholesalers? How does that kind of differ? Or, or is that a channel that you guys are in right now? Well, we have, we have our wholesale where we sell to boutiques. So we already are in boutiques and they're selling at retail. And then we have our direct to consumer. Now we're going to, you know, the other channel could be like, do we want to have our own company bricks and mortar stores? And so that's where that conversation came up. And this is really about 
how you want to scale and still make money. And it, that's when um, we thought about these tuk tucks because we're like, wait a minute, do we want to invest in a brick and mortar store? Are we really there yet? Or should we do something more creative? That's like, okay, let's, let's get these little, I mean, they're expensive, but they're not as expensive as signing a big lease and a build out and blah, 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 blah. You know? So we're like, that's really going to let us tip, tip our toes in the water to see and test some locations. So if we went, oh my gosh, that tuck tuck goes crazy in New York city at Chelsea market. Well, shoot, let's see if we can get our own brick and mortar at whatever. I'm just using these, these aren't real examples, but um, we just thought that that's kind of where we are. I think that's a, like, again, we were talking about it from the perspective of kind of bootstrapping. And when you're bootstrapping and you're an entrepreneur, you have to look and you have to find all these different, you know, hacks and really smart ways of being capital efficient and building up your business. And I think, you know, like you had mentioned, it's very important. It's very expensive to build out retail to like make that decision. And where's my location is like, what's the ROI on this? What's the payback period, all of that. Whereas you can kind of do this hybrid model, which is almost like a pop-up on wheels uh, that is also doing advertising for you, driving it around the city. I think that's a really cool way to not only explore the viability of retail, but also, um, you know, just be a great brand expression um, in a lot of ways. So anyway, that's really cool in terms of how you guys are just thinking about, again, bringing that mindset of let's stay profitable. Let's, uh, you know, find these arbitrage kind of opportunities that are exciting, that resonate with our brand. Um, and maybe that can lead into other opportunities as we continue to grow. So um, my last question here, as we kind of come up on time would be, are there any lessons for other founders or operators that really stand out to you um, as you kind of have been in the industry over, you know, a couple decades now? Um, anything really stand out in terms of what you would recommend to other entrepreneurs and founders getting started in a space similar to yours? That's a really big question. I'm trying to, to think of the best. Um, just have fun. I mean, in an industry like mine, it's, it's not emergencies. I've been in situations where, you know, people get really excited about stuff and it's like, Hey, we're not doctors. We're not, it's not cancer and stuff. We sell earrings and candles. So let's make sure we're having fun and being true to ourselves. And, um, I don't want to say don't take things seriously, but, but make sure that, you know, We've picked a fun industry, so let's don't take ourselves too seriously. I think, really. No, I, I think that's su- that's su- that's su- <laughs> no, that's that is super advice. valuable. It's like if you're going to be building a business and you're building a brand, like make sure there's alignment with your own personal interests and likings because that's what you're going to be waking up every morning and doing. So if Absolutely. anything, have have fun with it. Make sure that you have like the personal alignment there as well, right? If it and make feels sure like- you love it. I mean, I love what I do every day. My husband is always, he has a lot of hobbies and I don't, but he always says you've got the, the best hobby because your work is your hobby and you love it. So it's kind of like the highest calling. So just make sure you love it. No, absolutely. And for our listeners, um, where can we find more? Where can we connect with you? Are you on any um, platforms like, you know, LinkedIn or Twitter or anything like that? Or as well as, you know, you can shout out the brand and where we can find you um, and Ink and Alloy on the web and on socials. Yep, we're inkalloy.com on um, our website. Ink Alloy is our handle on Instagram. You can find me on LinkedIn, although I'm terrible. I have a posted in a really long time. So 
I think shouting out to us on socials would be the best way. Cool. Well, Gretchen, wanted to thank you so much for coming on. Uh, super valuable insights in terms of building businesses you've built. Now, Paddywax, Ink and Alloy is taking off. So we're really excited to learn from you. This was super helpful just in terms of like setting the landscape about wholesale as a channel, the ways in which you have um, you know, really scaled, really efficient, capital efficient businesses. So anyway, thank you so much for coming on and we look forward to keeping up with the growth and trajectory of Ink and Alloy. Congrats. Well, thank you so much for having me.